0: It's a joy to be able to go to other nations and to share with them. But as people like myself will go, uh, the vital link that enables us to go are you people. So Brian, I want you to stand for a moment. You see, what we are, we are a chain. And so we, not just myself, we have missionaries in uh, difficult countries even right now. And so a chain is something that is unbroken. So put your arm through my arm. And it's—it no matter what you go through, in the north of India this year, 160 Christians have been killed, many beaten. It's just unreal what the government is allowing there. Even with my own meetings, we could not advertise them. And we went into some areas where you shouldn't go into. But in all of that, we are a chain. You guys back here are praying. And I'm over there doing it or other missionaries are doing it. Thank you, Brian. And so I I want to exalt you today in the few minutes I'm going to talk to help you understand it's not just who am I in church, but who am I in God? And what is my role? What is my calling? And so I want to read from Exodus chapter 17. And verse 11, it says this. And so it was when Moses held his hands that Israel prevailed. And when he let his hands down, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became weary. So they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side, one on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated. See, the power of prayer. Here the Amalek's were coming to attack. You know, we see it in Australia. We need to be linking our arms to our pastors of this church We need to be linking our arms to leaders of this church. We need to be linking our arms as one to stand against even what's happening within our own nations. But in particular, we're looking at our missionaries and the great work that they're doing. Let me give you one other scripture and let's go to Acts. And Acts chapter 12. And I love this verse. And we know this verse. It's Peter in prison. And we know that James had been killed and now Peter's in prison. The church is concerned. Uh, But in verse 5 it says this. Peter therefore kept in prison but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. That prayer, even though they struggled to believe that Peter could get out was the prayer that opened the prison doors so that Peter could walk out those doors so I want to encourage you and I'll share now on my trip to India but I want to encourage you that you played a vital role in that the 500 uh, the 500 salvations that we experienced there wouldn't have happened without your prayer the feeding program that we were able to do, and the feeding program is phenomenal. What they do, I thought we were going to go and go into an unreached village and feed the whole village and preach the gospel and, and start a church, but they're miles ahead. They've already gone in. They've set up quite a lot of feeding programs, the organization I'm with there, and uh, they're, they're feeding the kids five days a week. And it's a different meal every day. And they teach these kids the Word of God. It's like a Sunday school. They can't use church or Sunday school, but it's like a Sunday school. These kids were getting up quoting scriptures to me, and they can't even read or write many of them. And in some places where they've now been going five or six years, the the, the kids that, that were coming into the program five years ago are now the leaders in that program. And so once they get about 40 or 50 kids, then they uh, begin to have church. And so they invite the parents. And, and I spoke at many of these, and the parents, are, many of them are alcoholics. You know, they live in shanties, no higher than three, four foot high. They've got to crawl into them. They're the, like the lowest, as we heard, the lowest of lowest, the rejects. And uh, it's a, it was a joy to see parents coming forward who were alcoholics saying, pray for me. You know, I prayed, uh, I preached 50, uh, 47 times. I didn't get to the 50, 47 times. Um, but I prayed for at least, physically prayed for at least 2,500 people. Everywhere I went, they line up. They all want to be prayed for. You give an appeal. Every person stands. And then, uh, you know, you've got a church of 500 people, and you've got to pray for every one of them physically. And so it's your prayers that put the strength into my body as a 72-year-old that could do that. And so, you know, the the thing that I want to share this morning with you, my five minutes is gone here. That's okay, I'll give one more minute. And then I've got a video. The thing I want to share is the powerful work of God that we are doing. Now, over there, what they do, they've been challenged. This organization it's Sharon AOG Church, uh, they have started in the last 10 years, they have started 300 churches. So I went around a lot of these pastors, preached to them uh, in groups. Uh, They have a vision of starting 1,000 churches by the end of next year. And the way they do that is every one of these 300 churches have got to start 10 churches. And so I went out into villages, I spoke with pastors, and uh, some of these pastors, uh, in one particular case, we went into this area which says the size of Brisbane, and when you drive in there's orange flags which says Christians are not welcome. So went in there, we spoke with nine senior pastors, three sisters and their wives. Testimony is unbelievable. But those nine senior pastors have started 60 churches and they leave home on a Monday and they don't return home till the Friday. They visit every village where they've got churches or they start new churches. Um, and uh, many times they're in what is called autos, which is like a motorbike with two seats on the back where they sit in, covered in, uh, or they walk. In some cases, one wife got up and she said, you know, we had to go to this village in the morning. We had no food. Kids had nothing. We took the kids. We walked 15 miles to the village just to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this is what it's about. So, but we, even though I'm home, we need to continue praying continue praying for the work in india in particular the north of india it's it's inhumane what they're doing to christians down there now my organization plus others have now set up are setting up refugee camps uh, to bring these christians out they're hiding in the jungles to bring these christians out of menopore uh, and to bring them into a refugee camp and so know they're trying to raise money for food and so forth to do that but you know continue to pray for that and so we're now going to watch a video and uh, then at the end of that Joan we'll take back over you want to talk to me afterwards I'll be out there as was said next Thursday I'll be speaking with men of purpose and I'll show a different video that, we'll, that I'll do up between now and then and share a little bit more detail about that if you're free for that bless you I read a a number of years ago from the Gospel of Acts, chapter 16, and the Apostle Paul within that chapter was seeking God where he could go and preach the gospel. And in in Acts chapter 16, he comes to that verse where in the midnight hour, he has a vision, a dream from God. And in that vision and dream, he sees a man standing in this dream, calling him and saying, come to Macedonia and help us. And so at that time I was praying and I was seeking God as to where I should go next also. And God began to lay on my heart the nation of India, and the door opened for us to come to India, and we went and we ministered with pastors, uh, and we saw many souls saved, and then we went home and, and did this a couple of times. But then about three years ago, through Facebook and then Zoom, I met Pastor Basada, uh, and I began holding weekly uh, teachings on Zoom. And then in God's right time, I felt led to come back to India and to minister alongside Pastor and his great leadership in his church here. I've had the joy of preaching to His people, we, uh, to going into villages, uh, to going into the feeding programs, uh, and to get there, sit down with the children uh, and feed them the rice and the curry and to see them eating this. Uh. And you know, the pastors that have started these feeding programs, it's a it's, it's a God-given vision the way they have started. Uh, God has taken men from Pastor Bazar and He has sent them out. Uh, and as He sent them out, They have started not with a church, but they started with a Sunday school. And they began bringing these children in every day and feeding these children. And if you see the chart, you'll see different meals they're given every day. But they don't just feed them. They teach them the Word of God. And so many of these children will get up and they did while I was there and they're quoting verses, verses from the Word of God without looking at the Bible. Perhaps some of them can't even read and yet they can quote the Scripture and that's so exciting. And then we were able to minister to their parents of a night uh, and many of these parents weren't Christians and and had difficulties like alcohol and we were able to pray with these people and lead many of them to Christ. uh, And then one of the highlights of this trip so far for me was to go into this remote village. You know, as you drive into the village, there are these orange flags, which says, don't go there, Christians. And yet these pastors are in those areas, knowing that they will be beaten, knowing that if they start a church, it could even be closed by these people. And yet to sit down. And to hear their testimonies. It was so powerful. My heart just reached out and I felt, what am I doing when I look at these great men and these great women of God, what they're doing? You know, just with a few pastors that we met on that day, they had started around 50 churches. One time, uh, one of the wives shared that, you know, they had no food. And yet they still got up with their child and they walked to the village without any food just to preach the gospel. This is what it's about. This is the vision of uh, Sharon A.O.G. Uh, and so they've gone forth and they've sent people forth. Uh, and they, these people are, are uh, doing this this great work. Uh, and this church, Sharon A.G., uh, it's supporting them financially as, and with the food. And so it's been a joy to be able to be part of that. But it doesn't stop there. Because they go into remote areas. They put on youth camps. They put on children's camps. They put on leadership camps. They put on pastor's camps. And they bring them together, costing the mother church many dollars. But yet, that's the burden of the church. Not to have the church in one location, but to have it in one location, but many locations. And so this is a church with many arms that goes in fact, hundreds of arms that go through India. But that doesn't stop there, because the vision of the church is not to have 300 churches, but to have a 1,000 churches. You can have a church like I went to the other day, has about 100 people. And the command, if you like, the vision that Pastor beside has given that church is that they've got to start 10 more churches. And this church I went to the other day, they'd already started another four churches. And so, you know, they've caught the vision. And so it's such a joy. And I feel like Moses in some ways, uh, how that when God told him to call the 70 together and uh, and, and he was to anoint them, his anointing came out of them onto the 70. And it said they prophesied. And I believe God's got me here to impart the prophetic word, to preach in the churches, to get the leadership together and to impart the, 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 the anointing that's on my life into their life. You know, on Friday, I came into this building and there's about 60 prayer warriors. And oh, what a joy it was to, to teach them. They just sat there. I don't know. I think I preached for an hour and a half on uh, the Lord's Prayer. And they sat there and they drank it in. That's that's the hunger that's here. And so it's exciting to see that. But it doesn't stop. It goes on. Pastor Passant, while ever there's breath in his life, has this vision of a thousand churches by the end of 2024. And so it's a real joy to play a part of that, even if it's only a small part. And So as I summarize this, let me summarize it by thanking people. Thanking Pastor Passant for opening these doors for me to come in and and thank Him for driving me in the traffic that is unreal here in India and two, three hours time sometimes. And what a joy it is to sit down with the local people in a village and, and eat their food, hot curry. Sometimes my mouth is burning with the curry, but I eat it and it's good. And then lastly, I wanna thank you, my church. I wanna thank you, prayer warriors. I couldn't be here without you guys. The anointing that's upon me is because of your prayers. So I want to thank you for that. I want to thank those that have been able to give towards this. And let me say, and even here, that the giving doesn't stop. I encourage you because I can see the vision here. You know, this is, like my concept was that we would raise this money we raised to go in and and go to unreached villages and just feed them once. But no, this church feeds them every day. And it doesn't stop when I come home. And so as I conclude my part today, I want to introduce you to the apostle that is running this powerful ministry, Pastor Pasada. And he's gonna share more details about the work of God that God has laid upon his
1: heart here. So I'll hand over to him right now. Thank you, Prophet Tom. Thanks for coming to India and staying with us and uh, uh, helping us and vision to reach India, to touch the lives of the Indian people. Thank you, church, for uh, sending Prophet Tom to India to be with us. Thanks for your prayers and support. We have a vision. We want to plant the churches. We want to expand the kingdom of God to every village, every town, every city of India. That's our passion. By the grace of God, we are able to plant uh, 300 churches nearly. Our vision, our goal is to plant 1,000 churches by 2024 by equipping young people for the kingdom of God. We have started a church planting training program. And many young people, there they'll be coming from the different villages, get trained in, in this place. We want to equip them and send them back to their villages and to plant the churches. So please pray with us and be uh, uh, partnered with us by sending teams uh, sending uh, uh, like a uh, uh, prophet Tom to, to us to uh, keep us encourage us to train up these young people to plant the churches we want to see the transformation in the in spite of the persecution in spite of the challenges uh, our people are ready to share gospel of Jesus Christ our people are ready to take the kingdom message to the every remote village so I'm encouraging you to be partner with us, pray with us, let us all expand the kingdom of God. And before we die, do something for the kingdom of God. God bless you, thank you pastors, thank you church members, thank you lead. thank you all the leaders, prayer warriors. Once again, we are so grateful to you, grateful to God, God bless you, thank you.
0: And so if you watch this video and you catch the vision that I'm trying to portray even here, and you wanna give just a little, even if it's just $10, $20 each time. If a lot of people gave that, then what a joy it would be for me to be able to then send the money here to India so children can be fed. Some of these children just have shacks to, to live in. Some have none. Some, their, their, their parents are alcoholics, and so the kids just run wild. But the church has taken them in. The church is feeding the Word of God to them, and the church is feeding naturally to them. So it's a challenge, and it's a challenge that has stirred my heart. It's been such a joy. This has been one of the greatest trips I have been on. Yes, I've been exhausted praying for everyone. You know, we just last night we were in a little room, no bigger than a garage in our our country. And yet we had probably 60 people in there, many of them for, you know, different uh, challenges within their life. And yet they're sitting there, and you'll see it on the video clip. And they've all got their Bibles open while I'm preaching. Oh, it was so powerful to look at that. And so I thank you for your prayers. I thank you for your financial support. Pastor Nathan, I thank you that uh, you've blessed me in coming. And every week you talk about me in church. I thank you for that. Uh, It's great to know you have a church behind you. And so I'm humbly and gracious for your help and your support. God bless you.
2: We are going to pray. I think this is the only response when we hear something like that. Just before I do ask you to join me in prayer, I uh, have just been reminded of the fact that you need to realise that in a fortnight's time there will be no Inspire because it is the um, Eka weekend, uh, not weekend, Eka holiday. And so we're not having Inspire in a fortnight's time. So the next Inspire will be in a month's time. We will put reminders in the newsletter, but if you're just aware of that. Will you join with me in prayer? Oh, Father God, we thank you. We thank you that you are a God who cares for every individual person, that you love every single human being so deeply, so personally. We thank you for what Tom has just shared about his trip to India, Lord, and we thank you that you are a God who is reaching down, who is using people like Tom and his team and the pastors over there, Lord. You are using them to touch the lives of people who don't know you, Lord. And we thank you for that. We thank you that you are reaching out. Lord, we know from what has just been shared in this video that we've just watched, that there are so many people still who are unreached by the gospel, Lord, who are so in need of knowing that they have a saviour, Jesus. The fields are ripe for harvest, Lord. We know that. And we do pray that you will continue to raise up people like Tom and his team who are prepared to go forward in the name of Jesus to share the good news, Lord, so that people get to experience that hope in their lives. We thank you for him. We continue to pray a blessing on his ministry, Lord. And we thank you for the power of prayer. We thank you that you are God who hears, who listens every time we pray, Lord, and you answer prayers. We thank you for every young person in particular who has heard about Jesus and who has opened up their life and their heart in India to Jesus. And Lord, we do want to particularly pray for those Christians who continue to suffer there because they have the courage to stand up and be counted for Jesus. And we pray for protection over them, Heavenly Father, and we pray that you will continue to just strengthen their faith, give them the boldness and the courage to continue to reach out, to share the gospel. We pray particularly for the northern part of India, Heavenly Father, that you will just encourage, Heavenly Father, anoint more workers to go into that part of the world, to share the love of Jesus there. We lift Tom's and his team's work up before you and we pray a blessing on it, Lord. Continue, continue to do your mighty work, we pray. And Lord, we also pray for people within our own family here who are in need. So I just mentioned before you, Lord, and you know the needs of all these people. Chris Hanks is having medical tests at the moment. We think of Brian Holiday in surgery today and Nendick in hospital, Lord. We just pray that you will meet their needs and um, help them to get the medical um, treatment that they require, Lord. We pray for Sarah, the lovely Sarah who leads us in worship hear lord every inspire we pray for healing on her wrist our oh, heavenly father touch that wrist with your healing touch heal it totally and completely we pray and lord we lift up neil allison and brian all these people who are having ongoing treatment be with them meet their needs lord we pray for trevor leach who is in hospital at the moment and lord he is desperately in need of your healing touch We pray that you will be with his medical team. Just give them the wisdom they need to know what is the best way forward for him. And we pray for peace for Leonie as she continues to put her trust in you. And others, Lord, with health issues, we just lift them up before you. Pray that you will be close, bring comfort. We continue to pray for Pastor Neil, Lord. Give him safe travel um, and we look forward to him being back with us at our next Inspire. And Lord, we also now want to lift Carly up before you as she comes now to bring God's word to us. Bless her heavenly father, speak powerfully through her, help us to have hearts now that are soft, that are ready to just hear what it is you want to speak into our lives now from your word. So we now just give you all the glory and honor, we pray a blessing on her as she comes in Jesus' precious name, amen.
3: Good morning, it's so good to be joining with you all this morning, I don't know about you but after all that Tom has shared, my heart is full, I'm full of faith, I almost don't need to preach a sermon so we can all go home, I don't know about you but as I heard what Tom shared, I thought I could never do that and I wonder if that's been your experience, Have you ever said about something or another, I could never do that? And then after uttering those five little words, God asks you to do the very thing that you said you'd never do. Let me draw out for you an I could never do that scenario. Have you ever said, oh, I could never lead a connect group? And then what do you find God later asking you to do? Lead a connect group. God has this tendency to put us outside our comfort zones. And it is when we're in this position that we are forced to rely on Him. I had an I could never do that moment recently. When Neil approached me and asked me to preach at Inspire this morning, he gave me free reign. You can hear it in Neil's voice Carly, you can preach whatever you want. So I thought, beautiful. I could preach from the Psalms, a lovely, encouraging message for us all this morning, but instead, sure enough, God put me outside my comfort zone. I said the dreaded five little words, I could never do that. The day after Neil approached me, I was talking to a friend who was sharing about their Bible readings that week. And they said, Carly, I'm reading the book of Leviticus and I'm finding it really difficult to understand how the book applies to me. You should preach a sermon on Leviticus. (laughs) So what do you think I said? Preach on Leviticus? I could never do that. Leviticus, Leviticus, oh. It's arguably the most feared and misunderstood book in the Old Testament. Let's be honest, how many of us skip past Leviticus when we are doing our Bible readings? I'll be honest, that's me. What relevance could this ancient text possibly have for us today? Now before you think, I could never listen to a sermon on Leviticus and tune out, I'd like to invite you to open your heart to what God could be saying to you this morning. Rather than this obscure legalistic book with strange rituals and instructions, Leviticus Leviticus can change your understanding of God and your relationship to him. Will you pray with me as we come to hear God's word for us this morning? Heavenly Father, thank you that you are sovereign that you are the God of all, that all scripture is God-breathed and inspired. And so, Lord, as we come to hear your word from this difficult book, I pray that you would open up our hearts to what you would have to say to us this morning. Would you speak and would we be a changed people this morning? In your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. So when we get to the book of Leviticus, historically, this is where we are in the thread of salvation history. God has called the people of Israel and rescued them from the oppression of Egyptian slavery. At this point, they are still wandering around in the wilderness, but God has nevertheless constituted them as a nation and called them as his own. The book of Exodus majestically closes with the glory of the Lord coming to fill the tabernacle. God had given his people explicit instructions for the establishment and construction of the tabernacle. You might be thinking, what is the tabernacle? Well, the tabernacle was the place on earth where heaven and earth would meet. It was the place where God's presence would dwell among his people. Exodus 40, 34 to 35 reads... Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So when we get to the book of Leviticus, we have the presence of Yahweh, the glory of the Lord dwelling among his people from within the tent of meeting. Now why the power and wonder of this gift might be incomprehensible to us, Leviticus ten two 2-3 just provides a glimpse of the danger of failing to revere God's holiness. Two of Aaron's sons defied the Lord, and fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them. They were killed instantly. In the next verse it says, this is what the Lord spoke of when he said, Among those who pro- approach me, I will be proved holy. In the sight of all the people, I will be honoured. This provides us just a glimpse of God's holiness. But having the glorious presence of Yahweh dwelling among his people presented a problem. How is an unholy and sinful people to live with a holy God? How can an unholy and sinful people maintain a covenant relationship with a holy God? Especially when the consequences of that holiness are so pronounced. We see this problem at the beginning of Leviticus. Leviticus opens with the Lord calling to Moses from the tent of meeting. God was speaking to Moses from the tent of meeting, but Moses could not enter. Moses, the representative of the people of Israel to God and God to the people, could not approach God's holy presence because they were a sinful and unholy people. The book of Leviticus provides a solution to bridge this gap between an unholy people and a holy God. God, in the richness of his grace, created a sacrificial system to cope with the inevitable failure of the human condition. This provided a covering for Israel's sin so that they could live with God's presence in their midst. We see in the book of Leviticus a foreshadowing of the gospel of grace. And through that grace provided, the first verse of the, second, of the next book, Numbers, demonstrates that God was able to speak to Moses in the tent of meeting. God had provided a way for Israel and unholy people to be able to live in covenant relationship with him. So in case you haven't already established, the book of Leviticus is all about Holiness. In fact, the entire book of Leviticus may be surmised in two verses. Leviticus eleven forty-four to 45 says, I am the Lord your God, consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. Do not make yourselves unclean by any creature that moves about on the ground. I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy because I am holy. This refrain is repeated again in Leviticus 19.2, which says, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Leviticus is all about holiness. The entire book presents a call to the people of God to be holy. The notion of holiness so underpins this book that the Hebrew root of the word holy is repeated 152 times. But what does holiness mean? Why was holiness so important to the people of Israel? And what possible relevance could it have for us today? Simply put, holiness means to be set apart or unique. God is holy and set apart from creation because he is the creator God. He is the author of life, full of goodness, purity and justice. God's holiness demands that the people and space surrounding him be holy. For Israel, an unjust and sinful people, to live in God's presence, they must also become holy. So this imperative call to the people of God to be holy served a dual purpose. We see, firstly, that by living a holy lifestyle, the people of Israel were able to maintain a covenant relationship with God. Implicit within this call to holy living was the practice of certain rituals, offering of sacrifices, priestly instructions, and observance of holy days. Holy living was to pervade every element of the Israelites' lives. But as you read the book of Leviticus and the language concerning holiness, you'll see this concept of being pure or clean, and impure and unclean. Now, whenever I had previously read the book of Leviticus, those many, many times as I just established, I had wrongly assumed that being impure or unclean meant that you were sinful or bad. I hadn't realised that this language actually had to do with entering the presence of God. So because God is holy, for an Israelite to be able to enter God's presence or present an offering to God, they too had to be holy by being in a clean or pure state. God's presence was unapproachable to anyone who was in an impure or unclean state. Now, being unclean wasn't sinful or wrong. It was a temporary state associated with one's contact with various elements associated with death. Because God is the author of life, approaching God in an impure state was incongruent and incompatible with God's character. One had to wait the necessary period of time and perform the necessary rituals until they were deemed clean and could then enter God's presence. Now, my sis- when my sister was a switch leader, they divided the high schoolers up into grades sevens to nine and tens to twelve. Kelis was a sevens to nine leader. And one night, the grades sevens to nine had messy games. Now, I don't know if any of you have any experience with a Switch messy games, but by the end of the night, you are absolutely covered in slop. Tinned spaghetti, raw eggs, flour, these are just a few of the identifiable elements you'll find yourself covered in. And being a leader makes you a prime target for the kids. So picture Khalees, absolutely covered in slop she would have felt pretty unclean. But as it so happened, on that same night, the grades 10s to 12 were having their switch formal. Now think of the older high school students, dressed in the glamorous attire that they'd wear to their school formal. Now Khalees may have really wanted to enter into the presence of the 10s to 12s, but she was unclean it wasn't right for her to enter the church building. She was unclean. Now, in the same way, if the Israelites had become contaminated with something representative of death, they were unclean. It was not right for them to enter into the presence of God. They had to wait until they were clean to be able to enter God's presence. This contrast of clean and unclean states served to not only remind the people that they worshipped a holy God, but it also reminded them of their unholiness and need for God to make them holy. The imperative call for the people of God to be holy served a dual purpose. Firstly, it was to help them maintain a relationship with God. The second purpose of the imperative call for the people of God to be holy was so that they would be set apart as God's people. To be holy meant to be sanctified, consecrated and dedicated or to be separated from the world and worldliness. Holiness separates God's people from the world and its unholiness so that they can live in covenant relationship with God. Chapters 17 to 26 of Leviticus is called the Holiness Code. These chapters describe how Israel was to live as a holy nation. These laws governed how Israel were to dress, what they were to eat, how they were to live with moral integrity and promote justice. These laws highlight how holiness was to pervade every aspect of the Israelites' life. The people of Israel were called to be different from surrounding nations. Rather than being restrictive, these regulations set the people of Israel apart from other nations. Their set-apartness was to attract and draw other people and other nations to that which set them apart. It was to draw people to the holy and righteous God. The surrounding nations were to look at the nation of Israel, see that they were different and ask why it was that they lived this way. This set-apartness was to serve the ultimate purpose of drawing people to God. This is our purpose too, as Christians. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light we too are called to be holy. We are called to live as representatives of our wonderful saviour, Jesus Christ. We are called to live as ambassadors of his love and light. So are you aware of God's holiness this morning? Are you living your life set apart for God? Do you live differently from the patterns of the world to draw our neighbours who do not yet know him into his glorious light? Can we be people this morning who fully take up the call of 1 Peter 1, three to 16, which says, Therefore with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Be holy because I am holy. Be holy because I am holy, says our glorious and good God. Be holy so that the world can see my goodness. May the way you live your life be representative of my character and draw people to me. This is God's word to us this morning. God is calling us to remember his holiness and to ourselves be holy. The pinnacle of the book of Leviticus is chapters 16 and 17, which describe the day of atonement. This national celebration was to take place once a year, and it vividly highlights the grace of God. God knew that the various other sacrifices described in the first seven chapters of Leviticus wouldn't be enough to deal with Israel's sinfulness. So he created a day to cope with the inevitable failure of the human condition, a ritual which would help bridge the gap between a holy God and an unholy people. He provided atonement for the people of Israel, a way for them to again be at one with himself, a transfer of judgment to a substitute victim which provided a covering of the people's sin. Once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would take two goats. One of the goats would become a sin offering. It would be slaughtered. God's judgment on sin would be transferred to this substitute victim. The blood of this goat provided a covering for the people's skin. The heavily symbolic role of this goat was to be sacrificed to atone for the sins of Israel. Then the high priest would take the other goat. This was the scapegoat. The high priest was to place their hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites. In effect, all the sins of Israel was placed on the scapegoat's head. For the people of Israel, you can't escape the symbolism. The high priest vividly identified with this goat. The people of Israel would look At the scapegoat and see that this was them. But then, instead of incurring judgment, the scapegoat would be cast into the wilderness. The scapegoat was a symbol of God's removal of sin for Israel. It lived while the other goat had died in their place. Sound familiar? Does the Day of Atonement sound familiar? To you? Does the sin offering and the scapegoat sound familiar to you? Leviticus beautifully foreshadows the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. We will never live up to the righteous requirements of God, but God, in His grace, sent His Son to live the life we could not live. God, in His grace, sent his son to die the death that we deserved. Jesus was the first goat that died in our place. We are the second goat, the scapegoat, that gets to live because he stood in our place. We are just like that scapegoat. We deserved judgment. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord but it gets better. While the sacrifices offered in Leviticus could merely provide a covering for sin, the sacrifice of Christ has completely removed our sin. All the Old Testament could provide was a covering for Israel's sin. It pointed forwards to the time when God would make a way for our sins to be removed. Christ has enabled us, an unholy people, to have a relationship with the holy God. Through the blood of Christ, we have been made holy. And so as we come to share around the Lord's table this morning, I'd like to welcome the servers to come forwards. As they distribute the elements, I'd like to invite you to spend some time in quiet reflection and prayer. You may eat the bread as we wait for everyone to be served, but hold the cup. We will drink this together. If you require gluten-free, please raise your hand and Joan will distribute the elements to you. Throughout this time, maybe for the first time, you want to claim that relationship with God that Jesus has won for you. Maybe you've gained a deeper understanding of the glorious grace of God and want to spend some time praising Him for the gift of His goodness. Would you ponder the holiness of God and recommit to living a life of holiness? As you take the bread and grape juice today, would you celebrate with me the atonement found through the, bread, uh, through the body and blood of Christ? The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Holy and righteous God, thank you that you are holy. Thank you that you are not a far and distant God who made it impossible for us to relate to you. But instead, you gave your very Son in order that way we may experience life to the full. In order that we may have a restored relationship with you. Your holiness is incomprehensible to us. But today, as we've been reminded of your holiness, we want to commit ourselves to living a life of holiness. Would we be set apart? Would we be different so that people would look at us and see you? We want to surrender ourselves afresh to you this morning. We want to rededicate our lives to you this morning. We thank you for all that you have done for us in Christ. Our hearts are full of worship for you this morning. In Lord Jesus' name, Amen. For those who are able, will you stand with me as we sing the rest of this beautiful worship song? Let's join together with our hearts of humbleness and reverence.
4: Holy,
3: holy.
5: you lord for all that we've experienced and heard and felt this morning we thank you father for opening up our eyes and lifting up our eyes to look on the fields which is still very white under harvest there in asia particularly in india and uh, we we thank you lord for just helping us to understand just how how fortunate we are here in australia uh, compared with uh, what others who follow jesus experience in other parts of the world how they suffer for jesus sake and uh, we thank you for those pastors who uh, are full of courage we pray that we too shall be filled with a holy boldness a courage that help makes us stand firm for jesus uh, even in the trivial little uh, persecutions if we can call it that we might experience so we do bless you lord and we thank you again too for the reminder that you are a very holy god something you are so holy we can't comprehend just how holy and different you are but we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us through the lord jesus and we thank you that you have called us to be separated unto you to live clean pure holy lives spirit soul and body so that we will reflect your glory So we thank you, Lord, for our time together this morning. Thank you, Lord. It's been great just to share and share share together in the things that matter most. In Jesus' name, amen.